You're listening to Adam Air MD GED. Your disease. And I'm the cure. Underground cartoon therapy. Alright, welcome to Fuck Back, motherfuckers. This episode is brought to you by Black Widow. <laughs> welcome to the platformer episode. What's the purpose of this episode? Well, if the purpose is to let you know that Adam RMD GED underground cartoon fucking therapy exists. And I'm not the only one. There are other people that feel like I do. And the show would like to welcome back J.D. Rose from the fucking Mortician episode, the Mortician Diaries. And if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that. That's fucking a blast. But this one... This one's a little different. By the way, Suicidal Tendencies asked me to do a t-shirt for him, to my buddy Daniel, down there in Venice Beach. And that is in the works, motherfuckers. <laughs> Welcome to episode whatever, 90 fucking 7, I don't know what the fuck it is, 96? 96, I guess. But yeah, we're going to talk about the platforms that are available to people with CPTSD like me who don't really have alternatives out there. I'm going to tell you a little fucking sad-ass shitty story about fucking a dickhead named Sasha. I don't know if I drop his name or not, but he's the guy who fucking ran the Icarus Project. I know there's a lot of Sasha supporters out there. Well, I had my own little run-in with the Icarus Project. That's going to be on there. And we're going to talk about other shit, too. Fucking weed's pretty good. So, coming in on the closing of the 100 episodes. J.D. Rose is an amazing person. And by the time we got done recording this show, which is fucking great, we decided to go, me and C2 decided that it would be in our best interest to have J.D. on in the fifth season as... A drop-in co-host. Making her the, the third person on the show. I think she's got a lot to say, and I hope you like what she has to say today. And she's got a lot of throwdown on PTSD. Non-military, non-narcotic fucking... You know, we're, we're not ex-Chuckies, man. We're not fucking ex-military. But we're still dealing with PTSD. And we're going to take a further examinative look at why we need different platforms. And I'm going to start it off by telling you how fucking excited I am. <laughs> I want you to join the Adam Air Army. Let's get it fucking rolling. I think what uh, I'm excited about is because for years and years, 
Um, I have like had such a hard time finding any kind of outlet for uh, someone that I felt like was like a mad genius like me. And I know a lot of people feel eccentric like that and feel like a mad genius. So on that mad genius note, I'd like to welcome back to the show, J.D. Rose. (laughs) 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 Thank you for... I needed to find some cool way to do this. And, uh, you know, it's just important to me, though, that um, you had made this compliment to me. And uh, you had uh, thanked me for being this, you know, outlet, this platform where there really isn't uh, too many, there aren't too many options. And, uh, for people that, you know, like, in this kind of like-minded like us, I feel like, you know, in that uh, punk rock is a loose way to say it. Independent person, you know, an artist, a person that just feels outside the system. Whatever it is, you know, uh, they're not, you know, in that thing. So I wanted to thank you, and I wanted to get you on the show tonight to talk about that. And um, I know that that is of great interest. We both have CPTSD. That is correct. Yeah, and uh, kind of expanding on that, um, I I know that there's a lot to, to be said for the ways that we're moving towards mental health. But as far as like a a chill platform that has kind of a sense of gravity, but a sense of um, I don't know levity to it as well, I think that that you really bring that this conversation that's so important because if people aren't comfortable talking about it then then why the hell are they going to talk about it so I'm just I'm enamored by by what you're producing and, and really grateful to have it in the world I, I totally appreciate that I, I think when we had touched base before uh, recording tonight um, we had talked about the kind of like the suicide hotline being a dragnet and uh, being treated in the fashion of uh, of uh, of uh, criminal when being assessed by yeah. uh, you know specifically in certain states every state seems to have a different kind of mentality about how they want to handle people with mental illness that's not even fair in of itself that's just a mess you know uh, no and leaving leaving the bureaucracies of the traditional medical system aside from this it's it's like somebody saying, hey, I think I broke my arm, and, and somebody else saying, oh, no, you look fine to me. It's, it's the same thing with mental health. Of, hey, I think I feel this way. Oh, well, you look fine, so it can't be a thing. It's, it's or, that yeah. kind of, yeah. I mean, yeah. That kind of <laughs> exactly. It, you, know, you know, and on a deeper level, even, like where I was just kind of in shock just now and re- remembering, um, just recently, the kid that uh, got shot, uh, where was it, in Oregon? Is that, or was he in California? Um, his, brother, his brother called on him, and uh, I kind of wish I had more fact back up on this, but it just happened like two weeks ago or three weeks ago, and uh, the brother called on, on, on his brother because he was having a mental breakdown it was part of this condition he had and he was just out and the cops showed up and killed him yeah i i hadn't heard 
about that, but honestly, more especially how this year has been kind of, um, I'm not surprised. I think that if we had more training as far as how to deal with different mental health issues rather than assume that somebody is dangerous, maybe we should assume that they're having a real bad day and, and treat it accordingly. I, uh... Even if they are talking shit, you know, it's like, go ahead, talk the shit, you know? Uh, I'd rather hear them talk yeah. the shit and get it out, because you got a, a better chance. Eventually, they'll just start to settle, I've noticed, if they do have PTSD. And I've noticed myself when I've had personal PTSD attacks, and i got to breathe and come back down to earth, you know, and uh, I'm shouting this crazy-ass, you know, shit, you know. Um, that, you know, I'd have to come back down, but you could see, like, the heat of, uh, authorities already just like, well, we don't have, we're already getting treated like shit, we're just gonna keep treating people more like shit, I mean, it just, like, the, um, the personal position of being mentally ill and having to deal with the medical system according to the state you live in, uh, yeah. It's, you know. And even that's a, even that's a little bit wonky. That's exactly. Some states may offer because of federal regulations. Some federal regulations can't operate with a state procedure. It's all this back and forth loop. The, the amount of times I've been on a call for my third uh, therapist booking to hear that they don't take the medicine and referring me to two other people I already talked to. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh no! It's a loop it's back and forth. I hate it. Uh, your only option is like, and then Nami, and Nami sucks, dude. And I really have just not negative things to say about pretty much the uh, the entire thing, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But I really feel like it's up to people like us to have to create. Um, contribute into new systems that don't exist and you know if it's if you can think about it and you can imagine it uh don't be afraid to you know try to bring it forward be like you know the first thing we want to do is oh that'll never work no one's going to care about that shit you know or whatever but yeah let's try it like yeah give it, give it half the chance that's what we're doing yeah. here if it's stupid and it works, it's not stupid. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'd rather see something, you know. Uh, there was a problem I had with a, a place called Icarus in, in New York City when back in 2005. And it was because I, the guy thought I was under 30 years old, but I was 33 years old. But I looked, you know, a lot younger than I am you know so he thought I was like under yeah. 30 and I I would have qualified for this group in New York this punk rock creative mental health outlet or whatever but because I was like three years over standard it was a really like kind of just like a, a punch in the gut you know and I remember how hard that yeah, was I know that was that, that was it was very pain. It was a you know, it was really hurt my feelings. It's really painful, actually. <laughs> you know, um, I remember how it moved me and kind of pushed that MDGED thing 
about a year later, I started signing it on my art, and then um, I think that was kind of the first origins of that. Of but always in back of my head, like you know, uh, I want to do it to move people on some level of therapy. And now here we are, <laughs> and I've gone from cartooning to this. Hey. <laughs> It's nice to have my friends on here tonight, guys, and uh, and everybody out there in Podzine land. Thanks for tuning in and uh, the ongoing support. And remember, all these episodes will always be free. I'm never going to ask you for shit. And so I'm never going to really make uh, T-shirts or anything, you know, but it's simply just to tune in and drop out of the bullshit for a minute and, and hear something outside the bun. Ain't that right, C2? Oh, yeah, I agree. I think uh, also it'd be nice to get feedback from people, too. So keep telling us what you think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you're out there. Um, you know, you've worked with uh, some people with some PTSD before me, right, C2? You've, uh, um, yeah, you can say I have a pretty extensive history. Um, you know, <laughs> have you had been in positions before? way before you met me, right, that you've had to, like, create uh, some kind of new system to work with these people that didn't exist? Yeah. Um, strangely enough, I've, while I have spent a lot of time in combat in combat situations, uh, you know, that that's pretty template for dealing with those sort of traumas, believe it or not. And I'm not discounting them. Uh, but when you have different types of trauma that fall outside the aspect of what would people would consider normal serviceable trauma like you have been sexually abused this is x trauma you have actually been assaulted this is y trauma your parents are a close one died this is z trauma you know they really don't have many branches to go with like in my case um you were a stillborn and a hermaphrodite adopted and neglected blah 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 blah. so i have nothing to deal with my early trauma because everybody's like uh what? <laughs> but they're like, oh, you're all combat. We can help you. And I'm like, well, you know, I had issues before that. <laughs> yeah. So I've had to develop my own systems. And I will admit that it has been somewhat of a um, experiment as you go and do your best. Uh, because mm. a lot of people are like, long story short, um, we need to have the bravery, courage, and safety to actually help others. And a lot of times that's not afforded to us, whether it's draconian laws penalizing people for helping or trying to get help for people and they get killed. Or just like you were talking about earlier. Um, you know, one thing I want to point out, and then I'll be quiet here, is that uh, Boulder used to have a social immune system. And Adam's very familiar with it. Penny Lane and uh -huh. other facilities were where no matter what or who you were or what sort of money you had or what you looked like, you could go to, but there was also um, some expected codes of conduct, nothing like, you know, here's our laws of conduct, but if you misbehave there, you couldn't connect with anybody in the town, but you could walk in from anywhere in the world, and people did, and you could talk to everybody from professors to local artists to travelers to soldiers of fortune. I mean, like, it was a place and when they got rid of all those places that they felt were undesirable even though they were never really a big deal all of a sudden there was no place for people to go and it striated Boulder and Boulder fell apart and so in cleaning up Boulder they destroyed its immune system 
And I think part of things that would help a lot of us is if we had some of that back. But, you know, I don't know how to do that. So I'll be quiet now. <laughs> no, it, it, well, I think you actually hit the nail on the head there with mm -hmm. kind of a peanut culture that's, that's infecting everything is we don't want to see your mental health. We don't want to experience mental health. Your mental health is not my problem because either A, I'm dealing with my own stuff, or B, I don't want to know why you have your trauma because that reveals the ugly side of the world. People have that mentality and they decide to run with it so hard that it starts killing off the things that we need so vitally for our own processing. Um, it was kind of sad. Uh, I was doing this other episode today as this experiment. C2 knows about it. Um, and I uh, was telling you earlier about that warm line episode uh, where I did call warm lines and record them. <laughs> and um, I, uh, the one I had called, uh, I can't remember where it was. I thought it was in like Indiana. It was all due to state funding. The friendship line has now closed, <laughs> uh, and decrease in you know the way they said it. You know, it was just right out of some kind of fairy tale uh, thing. But you know, in reality, it's like it's so simplistic and and childlike in this thing that we need and that is not available to us and uh, that we really could use right now. It's really hard to put your finger on it when you, you know, you're an adult and we're like stifling each other out and all this negative bombardment of energy is kind of hitting us so hard. It's really obvious. Um, people losing their minds and how we have to act after the virus, blah, blah, blah. Uh, now uh, it really does leave. To me, it leaves this new sketchbook, uh, uh, like more blank pages open, where uh, I kind of like that part of it, where you can create this new thing that doesn't exist because things that obviously did exist that were there after the virus, they're not there anymore, right? Is that, am I correct about that? I think that's the beautiful thing about it. It is a chance that I really, really hope that we take as society to kind of bank on the fact that our old society died. Our old society essentially got COVID and died, and now we have a chance to be reborn and do something new and start all these programs over or even just start something new because we've collectively gone through a trauma. And as long as we recognize that, I yeah. think more people will be more willing to look at trauma as a whole instead of just that's yeah. no need to have that I feel that um, you know I just I want to get I want to get on board that whole thing right now because I can definitely see that far in the future time permitting and uh, the platform permitting to continue to do that you know um, who knows which way the winds will blow, right? I mean, uh, it's definitely yeah. uh, terrifying at times to kind of look at <laughs> what's happening. But right now, it seems like things are a lot softer just after uh, the shift in uh, presidency there. And now we got the new puppet 
um, guy in there. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I think we need a. I think we need a reconciliation between these artificial generations we've thrown up to divide people, and we being a euphemism just for anybody who has, because the younger generations feel betrayed or that there's nothing they can do, and so they don't do. And the older generations have the, it was crap for me, so it better be crap for you. And those are the extremes, but that is the conflict we have where there's no trust between them and their senses of entitlement on both sides. And so overcoming that and realizing, you know, hey, we all have our issues and things. I'd rather see younger people using networking and tech savvy to utilize the experience and not knowledge of older people instead of, you guys don't know how to start a fire. Well, you can't program your phone. I'm like, well, instead of getting that out, maybe we could actually sit down there and uh, those sound like two powerful aspects to build together, don't they? <laughs> yeah, well, communication. I, mean, I think that, yeah, the three of us kind of kind of proved that point. <laughs> like we're all wildly different backgrounds, uh, I think different ages and different generations, I think. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that, that generational gap is this, this fictitious, it's like a she said, he said type of thing to generations at this point. Like, well, I hear this about millennials, I hear this about Gen X, Gen Z, boomers, whatever. It's, it's this fun little compartment that we put ourselves in and we're comfortable in, but we shouldn't be. <laughs> I, yeah, because we're well, it's kind of like when you don't have... You can have responsibilities in your personal life, right? And these things like that, and that's obvious. We'll do that, mm -hmm. but on a global like thing, you know, uh, maybe that is where we should. You know, I hate saying should. Oh God, but it's like if those things were instituted, uh, disabled is definitely one of these things that needs to be protected because there's like a level of abuse on it. And if you look at it just as its own thing on the planet that needs to be protected, if everybody contributed to uh, giving time to make sure that that uh, you know the disabled themselves were protected on the planet, that would be one seventh of the way to uh, you know that's not utopian vision either. That's just kind of like a, a common sense thing that they need protected, right? And that you would need to... It's, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, it, it, it's kindness. It, it boils down to people need to be kind. And if we were all 20% kinder, like you said, like being able to, as an able-bodied person, watch out for somebody who's disabled or take care of somebody who is in need just so you can it not because you're getting anything from it it's that kindness that that could change everything but we've kind of been bred out of that it's, it's been beaten out of us and we think that that's okay yeah there was a fascinating uh little bit of a professorship where they asked a wonderful lady and they said what is the first signs of civilization that you've noticed because she's been out in the field so much and you know, you're thinking pot shards, this, that, axe, fire. And she said, a healed femur. Because when they found a healed humor, a femur in a very old paleo tribe, predating most of the social constructs, she said that's when humanity started. The fact that the society invested 
energy and time to heal a broken femur on an individual and have them continue life. And I think that base lesson gets covered up by, well, you know, I give money to this group or I did something good or I, do, I don't do bad things. And eventually absconded away from that one basic fact of humanity started when somebody helped another person heal. That's it. Yeah. And then we lose that, you know. It's like, I don't think it's a bad thing <clears throat> to want to uh, gain material. I think it's just the equal distribution of living on a planet is to have to, if you're able-bodied, if you're an able-bodied uh, person, uh, is to look over, you know, the land and the sea and the air and to make sure that these things are, like, you know, taken care of. And we just kind of condone all the three of those things right there to be destroyed uh, yeah. and still at a rapid rate. And then we're going to, what, we're going to just uh, grow everything from stem cells when we're actually out of the real thing. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it'll be like Blade Runner, some Philip K. Dick shit. You know, like, <laughs> I didn't necessarily see any mental health outlets in Blade Runner. <laughs> you know, there was more like... A, a very grim <laughs> one-way road, you know, kind of deal with uh, how these things are set in the future, you know. Uh, you don't necessarily hear about expansion into new, rat, more radical fields because if they don't associate, like in our case, I can say uh, underground cartoon therapy, but if I wanted to actually push underground cartoon therapy, I couldn't say therapy, right? Because the mental yeah. health association would be on me and C2 in, in a heartbeat and would be like, hey, you all can't do that. You know, uh, you using the word therapy without uh, being a licensed therapist. So they rule mental health. Uh, you know what, though? It's the, the irony is, is, hey, they've really been doing a fucking bang up job of that, huh? To, uh, for ruling yeah, over it. It's like, that that's you know in turn it, it's just that's what I would simply label as just like evil uh you know you sh shouldn't be able to market mental health uh and take advantage of uh that kind of people like that. I was one of the people that saw the movie The Joker and thought that it was an attack on me people with mental illness. It wasn't favorable. <laughs> Uh, the Joker with uh, Walking uh, Phoenix as the. Oh, as God. I, couldn't, I couldn't get through half of it, to be honest. It was so. I, I hated it. I heard the wrong parts of mental illness, and it became this. Uh, Massacre, right? Yeah, and it became like reveling in violent and unchecked mental illness and wanting <sighs> for you. I'm so glad you feel that way. Holy shit, dude. <laughs> oh my god. Uh me over and over that I should watch the movie because I'm a DC fan and because I'm a Harley Quinn fan, which first of all, never advertise somebody who's a Dr. Harley Quinn fan to a, a Joker movie. Um, but also it is so upsetting as somebody who has PTSD and has has that kind of depression and who could see myself? It was it was disturbing the way that they set him up to be relatable. It, and 
on a real comedian that killed somebody. Huh. Yeah, not better. Uh, I, well, you know what I thought too, though? Because I, I go deep into the conspiracy theory. And mm-hmm. back in like, I thought it was like 2013, I had uh, put together that um, Bobby De Niro was backing Big Pharma. And, uh, okay. well, there was one evidence, because uh, he runs, he's a he's an honorary judge at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, and uh, there was a movie that they had made about Big Pharma being this fucking messed up shit. And, uh, and, uh, sorry about that. Uh, that it was just like messed up shit. Bloody's like chewing on a, cor- a corpse back here. Bloody quit chewing on that corpse. Oh shit. Oh my god. You hear the. <laughs> Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> there was the corpse grinding uh, <laughs> incident here on the show. Um, no. Um, <laughs> but uh, what was I talking about, C2? Back me up here. Come on. Uh, Joker, Bobby. Okay, Joe. Okay, so big. Okay, Bobby De Niro back in Big Pharma. Then he's on the Joker, uh, and it seems like he just like paints this target. It's like it pissed me off so much that he would sit there on this like talk show and be like, "Well, I'm mentally ill," and that's basically how he says it. I think that's the line he uses actually, or something close to it. And he says, "I'm mentally ill, so you know that's why I'm going to do this thing." And I was like, that's Bobby De Niro writing that line and pushing Big Pharma further. That's what I felt like it was doing. Because it becomes this, like, disfigurement to need medication in the society. And there's, there's less groups of people who have, who usually have trauma and have been through the kind of shit that, that causes you to need either medication or therapy where... It's like an understanding. Like, my household is really great because we all have our issues. We're pretty open about it. So when one of us needs medication, we talk about it. However, uh, there's this stigma that you're broken, disfigured, awful thing when you have to go on medicine. And that's what the joke of promoted was, like, you have to go help your, go get help. You're broken. So since you're already broken, just do whatever you want. It's akin to me to like people who go really deep into astrology, and that's like me saying, "Well, I'm crazy because I'm a Gemini." Yeah. Calm down. (laughs) Yeah, so I can just go ahead and like you know mess up whoever I want. Yeah, because I'm a Gemini, and uh, yeah, and I'm like, my nose told me to. That yep. See, I knew that you know there was a good chance of uh, of uh, you know. That movie, I wanted to talk about that because I felt like that was a device movie, man. Um, I think it was uh, going on conspiracy theories. I think that it was something that was released. Because as far as DC movies, they've always been really hairpin on their triggers as far as like pushing the 
these out just to push them out. But since we already had a Joker movie in Suicide Squad a couple years before, this movie was specifically designed to test the waters of society to see where we were at with mental health. And I think that we failed. I think that we did not pass that test. We jumped on to, well, I'm broken, so I'll continue being broken. We absolutely did not learn a lesson from that movie. We decided to revel in it. I thought it was a very interesting subconsciously designed warning shot across everybody uh, due to the fact that everybody is stir crazy and their dysfunctions are facing them in the face. We're literally doing this quarantine time. And I thought it was an interesting attempt at warning people or scaring them that we don't care if you're sick, there is nobody out there going to help you. And if you act out, look what happens to this person. Yeah. Yeah, if you get a little too loud for us, we, we will react. There's no good end. And I, yeah, there's no, there's no good end. On a side note, on a side note, y'all, my opinion about uh, the also was they overplayed the fuck out of a overusage of Taxi Driver and King of Comedy. And I th- oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was just like, okay, dude, if he does that little gun thing at his head one more time, I'm going to be really upset. And uh, I just thought the blatant way that uh, um, it was almost like some Stanley Kubrick style technique. Uh, just, okay, the, the, the interaction between Bruce Wayne's dad. And uh, brute and uh, the Joker before he's like the Joker, um, you know, and he's like this, uh, you know, guy in the bathroom or whatever. And the way Bruce Wayne's dad is just like this tyrant, you know. And I thought that was yeah. kind of divisive, like you know, like uh, here's like a little, uh, uh, you know, you've been through this. This is one of the reasons you probably are experiencing PTSD. So I thought there was a lot of divisive shit in there, but also it was like Martin Scorsese read the script and was like, Bobby, you can have the movie. I don't give a fuck. I'm going to go do The Irishman. I'll see you on the set. You know what I mean? So, you know, that was... <laughs> and that's what he he ended up going to, you know, do. But, you know, I felt like that was... Uh, DC was like, we lost Martin Scorsese, so we got to do like the same curtains as King of Comedy and the same uh, lighting and uh, and it wasn't even close to anything like they could have done. They had so much power. I felt like they had this really powerful card and I was really hoping that hey, this was like before I saw it, I was like, I really hope that they play it the right way and this could kickstart even like a little revolution. But you know what? I went to go see it and I knew like 10 minutes in, I was like, nope. Well, in Walking Phoenix is such a wonderful actor and he's such a powerful actor. They they really, for the people that enjoyed that movie, I say good for them and maybe you right. live your life. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's also like they, they lost the opportunity using Walking Phoenix again for a DC movie. I'd love to see him as the Joker, but not that Joker. Right. No. That wasn't that wasn't them giving us the Joker, and I I can respect the character to what he plays as in the DC universe, especially to Batman and especially to Harley Quinn. Yeah. However, he he wasn't the Joker. He 
was a media playboy for what mental illness is for, like for seen as in our country. And that sucks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would have loved to see Nicolas Cage as the Joker, and I'm just biased that way. I just thought that would have been very interesting because he is living chaos in real life. He bought a pyramid to be buried under. He is crazy and extremist in real life. I just thought that would have been a much more uh, interesting mix. <laughs> Who, Nick Cage as Joker? Is that what you're saying? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With the long hair like Tim Burton Superman was supposed to have, too. He should just have the. Be weird. He would, he would be a comic book character. He wouldn't be some guy we took off the street and gave way too much ketamine to. Like he'd, <laughs> he'd be in the Caesar. Yeah, he'd be like the Caesar Romero vein Joker. It kind of. I, I imagine yeah, mixing up Caesar that. Romero and Bruce Campbell. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally, dude. Totally. Oh, Bruce Campbell, like talking about being in the new Spider-Man too. You guys heard of that stuff? Did you follow that, Dee? No, I haven't. Yep, he was like, oh, yeah, he said it. He was like, I strongly am insinuating that I'm in the next Spider-Man movie. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I just watched Army of Darkness the other day, too, dude. It was great, man. I was like, damn. That's a fun one. It is. (laughs) So bad, but it's so good. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like Sam Raimi and his brother in there with the uh, little ball cut wig, and he's all, "You can use my steel," <laughs> you know. <laughs> I love it. It's fucking so great. No, okay. So here's my thing. Okay, in looking at the Joker and looking at mental illness in the Joker as that point. Okay, um, can we safely assess that? it could be never that Hollywood actually can nail a really good, you know, anti-hero villain movie with the aspect of using PTSD the right way. Like, could we safely assess that that's probably not in the cards, that that wouldn't probably happen? I don't think anytime you can. Because he really is suffering. He's like... Yeah, it, it, it's a form of combat for PSV, so like, oh my god, we're close. But it, he, he has actual PTSD. He has a panic attack. Like, he, this superman, this superhero, actually falls for half a second. Yeah. And we get to see him be a real-life person. That was really close, so that gives me hope that we'll get to see it. But I, I, I don't know. It's it's such a tricky subject and it's so hard because, you know, again, everyone wants, wants like the epic hero story, the epic origin story, and these struggles that people have to deal with, but they don't want to see what people have to deal with. Yeah. Want to see the real That's the problem. It's like, uh, and they don't want to see any problems that really are so dark and uh, just like around. I think, you know, um, the compression of that thing being undealt with really puts the stress on everyone in their life. You know, um, I don't know why why it is so hard for us to uh, to accept 
just what the straight up truth is. Because you know, it's like we're we're cool about some truth, but we're not cool about yeah. all truth. You know, it's, it's it's hard to think that the person next to you could have been through something real. It's hard to think that you could go through something real. It's I don't know. I I kind of going back just a little bit to another DC show. Um, I don't know if either of you guys have seen Doom Patrol. Oh yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, they handled it really, really well. Mm-hmm. But it's that kind of everybody around them doesn't want to deal with the other person's trauma. Yeah, exactly. So in society, we collectively don't want to. There was a very off-brand movie with Sam Elliott that uh, actually had a really very interesting combat PTSD aspect that was very interestingly portrayed, and it was The Man Who Killed Bigfoot and Hitler. And it's a ludicrous <laughs> title, but the, the person. Oh my god, really I've been wanting to see that. Okay, somebody else has heard of this. Okay, um, it good. really did. It really did convey a functional person with PTSD. Um, in that aspect, I mean, he's traumatized. He has issues, but also he has refined himself under the hammer blows. Is dysfunctional, but dysfunctional in a way with people but not incompetent and not prone to locking up or being a, you know the trauma is there but he has incorporated and processed the trauma but it still makes everybody else very uncomfortable even though he's functional and safe around people he's a really screwed up individual that found his own competency in the process so that one didn't hit very well with a lot of people, but I actually found the subtext really cool. And if it's accidental and I'm reading a lot of stuff into it, I don't know what to tell you. I'm going to check that out, by the way, because I'm not familiar with that. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, and I... Reading its subtext is important. Like, it's, it's what... It, it shouldn't be the case that people like us have to swing little factoids in movies and TV shows that we find representation. But we do. The reading subtext is important. <laughs> yeah, definitely. You know, one of my biggest gripes, if I could throw this in here, is how autism is represented in horror movies, of all things, because I'm an yeah. autistic savant. I was severely autistic as a kid, and I've had a wonderful amount of success going forward. Um, but every single autistic kid in Hollywood, and they usually end up in horror movies or feel-good movies, and it's always the autistic person is somebody who brought the trouble, needs to be protected from the t- trouble, or is actually rendered to an inanimate goal, plot point, or objective in almost every movie. And while autism is my own special cookie there, um, it really is a representation of how people will take a mental disability and um, there's no... The autistic people never solve it. They bring it, they're protected from it, but in the same thing with, you could put in schizophrenia, you could put in PTSD, and I don't like that format. Um, no, it's, it's seen as just like, if, if you have something that makes you out of the norm, you are interchangeably the bad guy in horror movies. I, I can relate to that. I have a, I have a dissociative disorder that is uh, fond of my PTSD that Makes me the villain of every horror movie as well. So, it's like there's a there's a camaraderie there. Man, <laughs> well, must be pretty badass. <laughs> I know, right? That's it too. Uh, J.D. Voorhees. <laughs> that is, I've always hated that element in um, 
in, in, I've always hated this one element in this way of uh, how a uh, supervillain is created um, from like this like traumatic ass kind of thing that happens and then becomes the villain. Like it just like seems like this kind of weirdo horror that never ends. Um, you know, but then if that, how do you become like a real true villain? The only real true villain is like the one who just really wants to be the villain. Yeah. Uh, so putting mental yeah, illness on it is like kind of like this, when you break it down, it's like mental illness then, you know, and using that as the catalyst, you know, it's like Joker's been through so many different phases for instance, of like, he's not just necessarily mentally ill. He's, he's this, he's that. It's like, you know, let's get a proper diagnosis going. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I well, think I it's important. I don't know if you guys are familiar, but there is a kind of multiverse to one of the Batmans that uh, is essentially the alley scene, but Bruce is the one that dies. And his mom and dad are so grieved and so so oh, I've seen that. <laughs> yeah, and, and so uh, so his dad becomes Batman and his mom becomes a Joker. Oh yeah, I remember. Yeah. What was that called? Which one's that called? Uh, I'm trying. I'm struggling to think of the name. It doesn't matter. But it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> And Batman became the Owl in another multiverse, which was like a super existential Batman that was trying to destroy all life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah, it's how we choose to react to trauma, but it's also how society kind of pushes that to react to trauma. I want to see the Batman where he just, his parents get shot and he goes on to start charitable corporations and NGOs and eventually stops world hunger. You know, so I mean, like, but no one would find that. It's pretty awesome. Well, I think I want to take on, you know, new factions of uh, writing about mental illness in entertainment. You know, I think that there's a lot of people that do want to write about that somehow but are like kind of caught up on getting it you know out and DIYing it you know um, how it yeah sometimes you got to get like the ball rolling and I think that as an example there are movies that come close to that but then you know I haven't seen one yet I'd like to see a good a good PTSD Hero villain movie. <laughs> That's Willy's Wonderland just came out. <laughs> Which one? Willy's Wonderland just came out, and I took a peek, and it was Gabe. Sorry to rap, and that actually plays a completely mute person throughout the whole movie. But every single thing is just the most high functioning Asperger's and autism I've ever seen. It's uh, the immunity to pain, the extreme focus, the OCD. And it was amazing because it was like, one of my friends joked, it was like putting me into a horror movie. And I'm like, God damn, I'm not that weird. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was interesting to see a silent 
protagonist, but not to be gimmicky, but just because everything reeked of autism and Asperger's. And it was a very novel movie to me because she wasn't made out as a good guy or a bad guy, just a person that got involved. And he's obviously PTSD on a lot of levels, but also other dysfunctions. And I actually found it a much deeper movie than other people did. And it is a shocking <laughs> movie, but it, it resonated with me in particular because it reminded me of a lot of the combat we saw overseas. So I'm mm. just saying, that one to me represented Nicolas Cage as a... Um, uh, you know, a, a functional dysfunction, for lack of a better term. Yeah, he's good at that. He's good at. He's a good. He's a good. Guy. He's chaotic role player. Yeah. You know, kind of deal. I'd like to see him as a Joker, man. That would be cool as fuck. I, I, I'm not. I, hey, well, I'm not like opposed to, see, to it. I'd like to. I'd like to see you as Lobo. <laughs> Who? <laughs> Lobo. <laughs> <laughs> That would be awesome, you know. <laughs> He'd be like just rolling down on his space uh, chopper, you know. All right, <laughs> whatever the Lobo lingo was. <laughs> That's about as Adam as it gets. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you. Um, yeah, I did get the show in like uh, the TV show Gotham, so I did make it into the DCU. That's cool, huh? <laughs> yeah, I got on like uh, I was on like five episodes of it. That, oh, you were? Yeah, you didn't know that, C2? No, I, I know you were in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, but I didn't know you were in Gotham. Oh, yeah, man, I made it into the DCU, dude. I uh, had um, a chance to be in the second season with, uh, or I thought it was like season two, or uh, I think it was season two, I think it was called This Ball of mud and meanness and it was with uh, the woman who plays tank girl oh okay Lori somebody mm-hmm. yeah. and she's in that episode and so she's up on the stage and I'm in the like crowd of all these like punks that are like mixed really it's like union and non-union and I'm like non-union uh, background extra and I had my hoodie up, you know, the whole time, and we're filming at this place called The Bank, and it's like this uh, place where they film the uh, dance club shots for whatever New York dance club, you know, thing mm -hmm. shot. And I took my hoodie off, and they saw the stripes on my head, and uh, the woman producer's all, hey, you, come here. And so, uh, <laughs> like, right away, and she's like, I want you to stand right here, and when Bruce Wayne walks out, the kid Bruce Wayne walks out, uh, I want you to mean mug him. Can you do that? And so I'm standing there and I just, I'm just standing there looking at him all mean. <laughs> Adam, you do realize you were in the DC. I know. You were in the DC universe in the 80s, Adam, because Teenage Mutant Turtles was bought by DC and you were in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. So you've been in the since the 80s. I know I've had just like the craziest tie-ins in my life and it, it, I'm so thankful for it all, you know? Um, but yeah, the Gotham was really the last stuff that I did. And then I got to be the Joker guys. And I thought it was interesting because when I did wear the Joker costume, the Joker gang costume in the third season or whatever it was, um, I totally, they were straight jackets and they just, basically I'd made them out of like purse straps and like, you know, canvas bags or whatever. And like, 
and then they had sleeves on them, and then they painted my face a different Joker style every time I did a Joker scene. You know, the, the four, I think the one time they cut me out was like the last one, <laughs> but uh, I got to, I was pulling this guy's like teeth out of his or pretending to pull his teeth out of his mouth, you know, with vice grips, and I looked so crazy, and the and the censors were laughing at me like, what the hell? So they totally did, you know, they didn't put it in, but, you know, I could imagine that I could really play some kind of... <laughs> and I actually broke the vice grip, so I kind of snuck off the set. I was like, oops, I broke the prop, you know. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> yeah, the guy's like, uh, that wasn't supposed to be that, like, you know, realistic, bro. But it was fun, you know. I got to do the D. I got into the DCU, you know. That and for like a comic nerd like me, man, you know that's huge, right? So that's a dream. (sighs) And you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, yes. And I don't really think about it like that, you know, because of just the time period and how different it was, and just like you know, uh, at that time. I got to meet Jim Henson, and then he had come in. He had checked out the Splinter puppet, you know, it was the animatronic, you know, and everybody, okay, yeah, that's, you know, showing us how it worked. He was the first uh, animatronic puppet used in cinema, I guess. That's what it was. That Splinter. Oh, okay. So, um, and then... uh, you know, just jump like that, you know, back then, you know, the 80s, right? You know, (laughs) (laughs) you're just so young, you're so young, you know, Um, but, uh, you know, now here in the future and and getting that chance to do that again, and, uh, you know, that was cool. I kind of do want to get into acting. I think I could, like, you know, do something with uh, writing about mental illness with the CPTSD and specifically in like just the kind of neglect that has come around it you know uh, yeah and um, well reversing the charges how do you do you got to reverse the charge man right you know it's like how do you do it well you need your friends and I, I mean I don't know you gotta it's hard to find people that actually care and have time well, I have a ghost town, heavy machinery, and plenty of room, so we can make a fun movie up there. <laughs> <laughs> we have to. This, there's lots of. Oh <laughs> uh, well, we are uh, coming to like the end of the hour, and um, JD, thank you for uh, being here and spending this time with us. Um, I know. Uh, You've had your own um, ordeals to, you know, obviously know what it's like and the painful side of of, of getting mental health. And uh, is there anything you'd like to say to the people out there? Um, I'm trying to like think of these big inspiring words. I think it's important that I think it's look around for the connections that you already have. I, I found YouTube via a good friend of mine who I found through a friend of mine. Like, it, the connections are astounding, and once you step back and you kind of appreciate it, you're, you're not so alone. All it takes is 
taking a risk and reaching out and it's scary but you make uh, some really great friends and some really great momentum just talk <laughs> yeah I, uh, I like that I like that too <laughs> we thank you for being yeah, thank here thank you for having me and thank you for, for everything you do and pushing out this representation into the world it is so so important and it really it really touches my heart that I could be here and that um, we got to talk this is amazing <laughs> we feel the same way and uh, I want to thank you guys and uh, everybody out there just stay safe you know and uh you know, if you do have a show and you 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 uh, have a show idea that you think we would like to talk to you about, and you got some stories out there, you're welcome to call us in here at the uh, Anchor Podcast, and uh, you know, I'll contact you with uh, C2 here, and um, you can talk to either one of us. And uh, want to thank you for just the ongoing uh, contribution and. Uh, it's a tender time on earth right now, you know? So thank you guys for being here. Did I lose everybody? <laughs> oh, no. no. I, was, I, was, I, was polite. I didn't want to jump in. <laughs> no, go ahead. Uh, I just wanted to thank everybody, though. You know, thank you for being here. And uh, that was it. <laughs> cool. Well, this is C2 signing off. <laughs> <laughs> Keep DIYing out there, y'all. Thank you, JD. And uh, hold on. Hold on the line for a second. All right. I wanted to tell this and put this little part in here. And I'm doing this for JD Rose, too, because we were talking. Sometimes on the show we get distraculated and all over the fucking board or whatever, dude, you know, so I wanted to actually clarify because I'm often wrong about facts that I'm basing shit upon. <laughs> I'm kind of like the Sun News of <laughs> CPTSD fucking bulletins. But, uh, in reality, this thing really happened, okay, and it was uh, Bobby De Niro on the Joker movie, but this is like in 2016, and he pulled this anti-vaccine documentary from the Tribeca Film Festival. This is from, uh, this is taken from uh, the Associated Press, okay? Uh, March 26, 2016, you can go look it up, but I'll just read it right at the beginning, up to a certain point, you know, and you'll, <laughs> you'll understand. <clears throat> All right, check this shit out. Facing a storm of criticism over its plan to show a documentary about the widely debunked link between vaccines and autism, the Tribeca Film Festival on Saturday pulled the film from its schedule next month. <clears throat> In a statement, Robert De Niro, a founder of my of the festival wrote, my intent in screening this film was to provide an opportunity for a conversation around an issue that is deeply personal to me and my family. But after reviewing it over the past few days with the Tribeca Film Festival team and others from the scientific community, mm -hmm, we do not believe it contributes to or furthers the discussion I had hoped for. The film, Vaxxed, From Cover-Up to Catastrophe, 
was directed and co-written by Andrew Wakefield, the author of a study that was published in the British medical journal, The Lancet, and then reacted in 2010, retracted in 2010 rather. Mr. Wakefield's medical license was also revoked over his failure to disclose financial conflicts of interest and ethics violations. Information appear, or information about the film no longer appears on the film's website. But on Friday, the film, the site TribecaFilm.com did not mention Mr. Wakefield's revoked license or the 2010 retraction, saying instead that they would cat catapult Wakefield into becoming one of the most controversial figures in the history of medicine. And on Twitter, Mr. Wakefield described the film as a whistleblower documentary. These aren't fucking terms used loosely, okay? And I've been saying it since for a year on this, and that was the first time I got to read it on here. And that's the reality of the 30-minute mark here in the show when I'm talking to JD. I was talking about that on the Joker movie, but that is Bobby De Niro's little intent, ain't it? You know, he got paid off by some big pharma motherfuckers. And that's what I fucking said. And 2016, before the fucking COVID. Uh-huh. What are we looking at here, man? Hmm. Anyway, dude. I want to close this motherfucker up, okay? Like... Fucking A, man. <coughs> that was a killer episode. J.D. Rose, thank you, man. <laughs> I am super thankful to have the people that I have in my life. I can't hang out with too many people, man. Uh, well, up in the fifth season, I'll be more open about it. That's for sure. Oh, man. Well, <laughs> I'm going to take a break. I'm going to make a fucking cartoon at a mortuary. But I'm still going to go to fucking school. And the one thing I've noticed is that the underground, old underground is the new mainstream. And it's been like that for like 20 years. I'll tell you what, dude. I'm going to make a cartoon in a mortuary, and it's going to be super demented and gory and fucked up with a lot of fucking fucked up shit in it. 18 and over. This show is for 18 and over, and I know some of you aren't, and you fucking listen to this shit. I would have done the same thing. I'm not condoning it. But to whoever you are, and for all the support, and whoever the fuck you are listening, fucking thank you, dude. And thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Hang the fuck in there, man. Maybe that's a poor choice of words. That's what I said. 
You've been listening to Adam Air MDGED. Underground Cartoon Therapy.